You have brain. I know. So much. I know. So much brain. Uh, I hope you have brain. I hope you have a good amount of brain. Because you're a zombie and you're going to eat my brain? Because I'm going to kill you and eat your brain. (laughs) Not because I'm a zombie, though. (laughs) (laughs) Just thought you should know. No, uh... You are going to need a brain because this movie's a little brainier than their last ones. Like, I mean, you need a brain for every movie because you have to see them and observe them and think about them. That is how it works. Yes, but this one's a little a little headier. Uh, not that it's inaccessible. Uh, do you know anything about Fellini? That his name sounds like pasta. Yes. I've, I've heard his name. I think we covered that last yeah. episode. He's not a pasta. He is. Uh, his name is Federico Fellini. He was a uh, Italian film director who went through several phases. His everybody loves him phase. His the Italian filmmaker snooty people hate him phase, and then a bunch of movies everyone hates phase. Uh, what does this fall under? This falls under the Italian film world starts hating him phase because he's stepping away from neorealism and is getting into more exp- like impressionism and like surrealism is this going to be as weird as that one movie where the guy took the nap and then he was dead and then there were the people dancing on the walls that were shadows what nosferatu it is not wait that was not nosferatu (laughs) what was it then that was a vampire ah yeah that vampire vampire no this is not vampire no i don't care if it's vampire is it going to be as weird as that (laughs) i'm saying it's not as weird as oh it is there is definitely a plot in this movie that is followable. There are characters with names and emotions and who want things and pursue things. It's just that I don't want to say too much about this because I don't want to like tell you what it's about because it's just a sort if of... If I really cared, I could just Google it. But I mean, it's sort of a movie that it's best to like sort of go in and be like, whoa, okay, what, huh? Uh, but let's, it's... it's. Let's it's, hope I can see. It's far more down to earth than anything like Vampire. Think of it more along the lines of... Uh, and again, not to color your like preconceived notions. I don't like, trust your opinion on anything. Okay, well, so think of it more like the Seventh Seal. Okay. Like a little like out there, but also like totally I don't like. Remember what that movie was about? <laughs> death and the chess. Oh and the, right, yes. yeah. Think of it more like that. Like it's it's weird and it's a little off putting at times because like what is happening, but it, it all makes sense in the end. Okay. Um, but Fellini was going through a hard patch in his life at this point, and. He got signed on to make this movie and didn't know what it was going to be about. So he just started making it. And if you see reflections of that in the movie, that's because that's... This movie is very meta. Just to say it like that. If you're interested in meta cinema or meta media, this is like... What's the genre? uh, Italian film. Okay, but like what? like Comedy, drama expressionist weirdness um he had a thing that one this one little one little anecdote is he had on his camera a note in italian obviously that uh that said something like on lines of don't forget this is a comedy and it's easy to forget that in the movie because it's it's it deals with some serious stuff but he had to keep reminding himself like no no no, no. At, the, at the end of the day this is supposed to be a comedy so just keep it's good to remind yourself that whenever you're like what? sounds like someone i wouldn't want to know what i don't think you'd want to know fellini he was a he was a the way people described him was everyone who knew him thought he was their best friend and then suddenly you were no longer a part of his life because he had a lot of trouble 
forming close connections with people. I know someone like that. Me? Are you talking about me? No. <laughs> oh. Am I like Fellini? No. Uh, now he had a lot of hard, he had trouble forming close connections with people, but while he knew you, you felt like the most important person to him. And then suddenly you're like, Fellini hasn't called in a while. Uh, he never used actors more than twice. Rarely used actors more than twice. Because once he'd gotten what he needed out of actors, he was done. Like, he was like, all right, now I'm moving on to other actors. And so actors would be like, sweet, I want a Fellini's, like, big actors. And then they never calls them again. Yeah, but wouldn't they get the gist of it once they saw that he never used... But he still made you feel like you were his best friend. So even though people had said, like, don't get too close to Fellini because he's going to dump you, he's, you still felt awesome. So... I don't have enough confidence for that. Yeah. <laughs> you can't make me feel like that because I just assume everyone hates me all the time. But the way people describe it was that he wasn't, it wasn't like he was being manipulative on purpose. It's just, that's the, how he would relate to people. Not later in life. Uh, and this movie itself kind of forms a little bit of a turning point for Fellini. And uh, that's why everyone started hating him because he didn't make them feel like he was their best friend. No, they started hating him because he stopped making good movies. <laughs> Uh, you know, the, the, end, the end third of his career people were like what are you doing what are you I looked up some of his stuff uh, from later in his career and I was like holy crap that was a Fellini film like I, it was a, that's a movie I would just see on the shelves at the video store and be like that looks dumb what was it I don't remember like just there were just movies that I was like oh I never even thought of that as like a Fellini film because Fellini film has a certain like weight to it yeah um, but yeah it'd be like if I was going to say if Kurosawa made a bunch of weird crime dramas, but then he did make a bunch of weird crime dramas. It would be like if Del Toro started making those B-movies with giant spiders in the sewers. That would be awesome, though. <laughs> that would be awesome, though. No, it would be like if Guillermo del Toro like, made like a like a Saved by the Bell reunion movie. And you're like... I don't even know what that is. And you were like, what? Why is Guillermo... Oh, well, maybe it's going to be all fun and Guillermo del Toro... No. No, he's just doing like... Just making a movie, I guess. He, that would actually be awesome. If Guillermo del Toro is listening, please make a Safe by the Bell reunion movie. Like, I know that they all hate each other and whatnot, but that would be awesome. Or at least cast Dustin Diamond in something. All right. Are you ready to watch? We haven't even said what this movie is. Hi, everyone. I'm Phil. And I'm Molly. And it's, it's del, del Toro, Toro time. time. It's del Toro time. And we are watching 1963's Eight and a Half. Centimeters. By Federico Fellini. And see if you can figure out what the Eight and a Half refers to. I challenge you. Does you it won't. refer to anything? And people are still talking about it today. Also, unlike The Seventh Seal, this is one of those movies that, like, didn't... It, it's, it's very famous, but, like, there's no, like... People don't parody it a lot. Like, you know, like, like with eight, with Seventh Seal, you see a lot of, like, death playing a game with people. Can you even parody that movie? Wasn't it just a parody of itself? What, Seventh Seal? Wasn't it just a joke? No, we love Seventh Seal. I love this movie. We like The Raven. <laughs> no, Seventh Seal was awesome. Yeah, it was a joke. It was about the Middle Ages. It was and, a like, joke. And, like, death. And, like, people... What are you talking about? <laughs> Did you not say something while we were discussing the seventh seal? <laughs> no, it was a joke. It, it was, was funny. <laughs> I mean, it had a lot of amusing parts, but it had a pretty sad ending. No. <laughs> Everyone died. Yeah, and they all kind of deserved it in the end. Except for the family with the baby. They live. Yeah. And also, there was Jesus and she was a woman. Are we talking about the same movie? <laughs> Remember the woman at the end says Jesus' line? Oh, that's right. That's right. I thought you said Jesus is a lion for a second. And I was like, that's a different movie. That's the Chronicles of Narnia. I thought that was God. We don't need to talk about this no, right it was now. Jesus. He got killed and came back to life. As a lion. As a lion. In a wardrobe. Yes. Just like Jesus. Comes out of your closet and says, boo. Jesus doesn't need to come out of the closet. 
We're not even gonna go there. All right, everybody. 1963's eight and a half. That wasn't. That wasn't. Here we go. Bye. Also, that that would be like meaningful within the context of Fellini because he's very Catholic, but also like he had a lot of problems with Catholicism, and that comes through in his movies. A lot of authoritarianism and stuff. So. Well, I also have a lot of problem with religion. So let's see what let's happens. Let's see what happens. Here we go. We're back. We are. We're back. We watched eight and a half. Yes, not too did. long ago. Yeah, it was two days. Two days ago. <laughs> and it, what's funny is, you know, we, we make fun of the fact that sometimes we go like a long time between watching mm -hmm. the movie and talking about it. But this is the kind of movie where you kind of got to give it some t breathing room. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This is not, uh, it's not a simple film. <laughs> This, no. is, this is not The Raven. It is not The Raven. <laughs> Although, for some reason, after we watched it, you started calling it, like, making comparisons to The Raven. <laughs> because I, that's how I feel about this movie. Oh, yeah? I feel this about this movie the same way I feel about The Raven. Which is? I enjoy it, but I don't understand it. <laughs> but I would say that The Raven is is incomprehensible for different reasons than Fellini's Eight and a Half is incomprehensible. It is, <laughs> but it's still incomprehensible. <laughs> <laughs> it is incomprehensible. It's incomprehensible. One of the delightful things uh, I think about Eight and a Half, though, is that it is not meant to be literally comprehended. Like, it's not meant to be figured out. Like, it's not incomprehensible because the filmmakers were incapable of telling a coherent story. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's more that it, it exists not to be a story, mm -hmm. but to be a, an experience. Yeah. Like, sort of taken as it is. It certainly was an experience. It certainly is an experience. I have now watched the movie three times in the last uh, week. Why? Because I just need to experience this film over and over again. So it's uh, four times in your life now? The only reason I did not cry when I watched it with you is because I was watching it with you. <laughs> What do you mean? Why would you cry? I cried both. I cried re-watching it the other day at the end. And then I cried watching it at two, one and a half speed with the, just to get through the commentary again at the end. I was like, oh, it's doing it again. The ending of this movie just makes me not sob. I wasn't like, oh, the Fellini. But I was like, <laughs> but I was like. You were doing like, that thing that you do at movie theaters when we're seeing movie theaters and there's a sad scene. Yeah, I know. Mm -hmm. I know what you're talking Tears about. Tears running down my face, but mm -hmm. I'm like silently. I like, like I, I can't remember what movie it was, but I looked up at you at a movie theater once to make a snide comment. Or like, because <laughs> we make eye contact sometimes when something stupid happens. And you were just bawling. Yeah, I do that. And I was like, I don't understand. <laughs> was it the shape of water? <laughs> Probably not. Probably Probably not. I can't no. imagine you coming up with snide comments. No, I was just awestruck in during Shape of Water. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Plus, the the Minneapolis Uptown Theater isn't the kind of movie theater where you turn to make snide comments in the no. middle of like a crowded. Well, I wouldn't like speak. It would just no, be like us give me making. A look. <laughs> yeah. God, now I'm trying to think of what movie we saw together where I would have been weeping and you would have been giving me a snarky look and <laughs> could have been anything, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it was during. Did we see? Uh... Uh, Rogue One. I don't think together? so. I no? think I saw that by myself or something. I don't think I saw it with you. No, I saw it with my mom. Okay, whatever. We'll figure whatever. That we'll figure that out <laughs> off the air. So Fellini's eight and a half. Uh, just a little background because uh, I we didn't really cover it in the beginning of of the this episode, but uh, Federico Fellini was born in 1920, so he was uh, approaching. Middle age ish when he made it. he was in his he was uh, so he was born during the Roaring Twenties 
He was born during the Roaring Twenties. But grew in, up during the Great Depression. But in Italy. Oh. <laughs> like, so he had a different experience than All right. I would have if I was born When in the was 1920s. the Great Potato Famine? That's Ireland. That's like a totally different thing. I don't understand where you're going with this. <laughs> they both start with I. And I think I that was confused. like well before this as well. As, I don't do geography. In any case. I don't know how I'm passing AP Human Geography. Fellini was basically my age when he made this movie. But he had already had, he was a cartoonist and a caricaturist and a writer. And like, a, he, he, he was just one of those, he was a gag man, as they, as they call it. Like, he came up with wacky gags. For scripts. So he was like the the equivalent of those YouTube prank channels. Yes, he like... was a prank. No, he didn't, he didn't make <laughs> gags for gags sake. <laughs> he made gags for scripts and stories. Like they might punch up this story for us and he would like write mm. gags. Um, he was uh, he was influenced as a child by the circus. That was like a huge influence on his life. No joke. As well as his uh, brutal Catholic school upbringing where he was tormented by priests and punished for, for stupid transgressions. Something that stuck with him throughout his entire life. I noticed. But being Italian, also a very Catholic person uh, because he just grew up in Italy. Like, Also, like he was like frustrated by the rise of fascism he was constantly like pushing against authority is he dead now oh he's very much dead now he died in the i think the early 80s i wonder what he would think of trump <laughs> do not know probably would have put a funny clown nose on him and had some some clowns march around and beat a drum With while as a child while circus trumpet. music played while a small child played the flute because <laughs> that's like how all of his movies end you at the end of this movie you were like what is happening? All these clowns came out and there's a little boy playing the flute and they're all marching around. And I'm like, yeah, it's a Fellini film. That's how all Fellini films end. I've never seen a Fellini film until All now. Fellini films basically end with clowns coming out and they march around and there's like circus music playing. To remind everyone that, yes, this is a comedy. To remind everyone that this is a comedy in the sense that, in the in like the classic sense of comedy. Not like ha 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 comedy, but like, oh, this isn't a tragedy, basically. It, it is. Is it a tragedy? Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, there's it's so not much... a tragedy because I don't like any of the characters. <laughs> tragedy doesn't depend on you liking the characters, though. It's about what happens to your protagonist. I don't care what happens to the protagonist in this movie. <laughs> but it's about the definition of tragedy is what happens to your protagonist. It's Are they done in by their own personal flaws? Or... I don't know because the end of this movie just seemed like a weird acid Because trip. there's two ends to the movie. Yeah, and one is one of them like two, horribly two, depressing. Two, 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 two ends to the movie, and we'll get into that. Uh, uh, so, uh, for all of you at home, I'm using as my source for besides the movie itself. I'm using as a source Ted Perry's film guide to Eight and a Half, which is kind of the beginning of any film criticism of Eight and a Half. It's like here's your quintessential start here. Start with Ted Perry's film guide to Eight and a Half because it, what all it does is it breaks the movie down by scenes, sort of tells you, gives you a brief synopsis of the movie, and then it goes scene by scene doing a close read of those scenes. And then that's it. He talks a little bit about theory, but he's mostly just like, let's take a close look at this movie. And it's a brilliant guide to not only uh, eight and a half, but also just this beginning film criticism. Like, here's how you start off film criticism without any extra burdens or anything. You don't have to know anything else about film or art in general to start a close read of this film. I remember that when I'm teaching my first film criticism class. But it's a good it's a good thing to know when you're looking at anything. Mm -hmm. How to just say like let's divorce this from context and just look at the film as it stands. I've never heard divorce used in that context. Oh really? Yeah, like separate, like just well, completely I know separate. I know it. what divorce means. Well, yes, <laughs> we're divorcing it from context. We're saying 
it doesn't matter if you know about Italian film. It doesn't matter if you know about the avant-garde or any of that. Let's just look at this film as it is. And this film is yep. bazonkers. Well, I mean, you don't really have to read that because you learn how to criticize films in the film. Don't you? <laughs> don't you just? But you learn how to criticize films poorly. Mm-hmm. God, that was such a terrible film critic. He wasn't he awful. Yeah. But he's based on a real film critic. Wait, I thought that was a real film critic that was playing. Like I was like a real writer. And then like this movie kind of ruined his life. That is weird enough. The critic in this movie was played by this guy who came to film this movie. And then he just kind of hung around like kind of trying to be like a film star or trying to be a celebrity. And then he just kind of like never did after this. It was kind of his own fault. Yeah. But it also sort of stands as an example of that whole like Fellini like kind of built people up. And then just kind of left them on their own. And they were like, what happened to Fellini? Again, I don't have the confidence for anyone to do that to me. <laughs> Fellini could have given you the confidence and then he would have left. I second guess everything anyone says to me. <laughs> like you could be like, I love you. And I'd be like, oh, so the, you hate me. Great. Goodbye. So which character in this movie do you most relate to? The mistress. Your mistress. <laughs> Carla. Uh, which the, yeah. Yeah, that was her name, right? That was Carla. I don't, I, was I don't remember anybody's name from this movie. So let's get into kind of what this movie is about. Besides the fact that it is a movie about a man making a movie about a man making a movie about a man making a movie. Like, it's so recursive and meta. And the fact that it's able to be this recursive and this meta without crawling up its own butt and losing itself in its own butt is, I think, amazing. The fact that it it actually remain to me maintains its integrity it maintains emotional honesty without just becoming a gimmick is it about a movie about a man making a movie about a man cuz well, i never learned what the movie was about exactly or exactly what the, was happening the movie of eight and a half is the movie that guido is making in eight and a half to the extent that you're never sure which scenes are actually happening are him imagining them happening and are actually scenes that he's intending to be in the movie eight and a half. Like the scene in the graveyard with his father. Remember mm-hmm. when he goes to that weird like... I thought it was supposed to be heaven. Is the... Exactly. So it's in a grave. There's a tomb and he's talking to his father and his father is complaining about his, purgatory. his own grave. But also you're like, this doesn't look like a graveyard. It's like this weird like weird set like mm-hmm. it just looks like an abstract set but also like his producer is there and like and his mother and his mother but they don't seem to like care about him they're all acting weird and you're like is this a dream because he's asleep because it's that that scene that freaked you out where he's in bed with his mistress and then all of a sudden his mom's in the room like doing a gesture and you're like i remember you were like what is happening <laughs> and then it cuts to his mother doing the same gesture in the graveyard but what is she even doing is she waving is she wiping she's wiping the windows is she, she's is doing it, that dance <laughs> what, what dance the wind, like the dance like the the it's just it, is this a Fortnite dance? No, <laughs> it's like from a video like a few years ago. So the window wiping dance. Yeah, I can't remember what it was. I it was like a stupid. Know. It went along with a stupid song. I can't remember. Whatever. But it's kind of like that. It's you're like, wait, what is what's happening? And then like he's in the graveyard with his father who has died, and he's trying to ask his father questions, but no one's answering his questions. And then it just goes to the next scene, and you're like, but you also get the sense like, okay, well he's got problems with his family. 
and he feels completely disconnected from them. So it's more about like, you're not supposed to figure out is this real, is this not, where is this, what is going on. I have a theory. Okay. It's probably not real. (laughs) (laughs) But again, it doesn't matter in the context of the film Mm -hmm. because the film keeps reminding you that this isn't real. And there's things that I didn't even notice the first few times that I was like, oh, like there are scenes that you're like, oh, this is really happening. But then you notice like studio lighting instead of natural lighting. And you're like, wait, is this a movie? Like there's a scene in the beginning where he first shows up at the spa Mm -hmm. and all the doctors are like surrounding him. And you're like, okay, this is our introduction to our protagonist. And he goes into the bathroom and he's alone in the bathroom. He does this weird like crouching thing down on the ground. And you're like, wait, this is not being lit naturally. This is lit like a set. Like he's in a set. I haven't seen enough set lighting or natural lighting to note. Well, it's it's not lit like a bathroom. It's lit like it's really bright. Lit like, like a party. Yeah, and it's like, oh, wait, wait, is this, is he now in a dream, or does that matter? And I think, and not only I think, like, it's, the idea is that you're never supposed to know what's real and what's film. I think he just had a psychotic break. (laughs) (laughs) But even that's, like, I think oversimplifying it. Like, he might have a psychotic break, but the movie is saying, and Fellini is saying, don't worry about it. Like, don't worry about it. Like, the whole idea is that you're supposed to, you're not supposed to, this isn't, this isn't a film theory. This is, this is more like, don't try to figure out this puzzle. Just approach this movie as a movie. It's, it is, you know what I'm saying though? It's, yeah. You're not supposed to put it to, like, okay, well, this is this and this is this. You're supposed no, no, to just be just, like. It's just when you said, uh, p- put this movie as movie. Yeah. It's like, was, what? <laughs> it's film as film. It's film for film's sake. It's not like. Yeah. I mean, it's not like. It's not. Yeah, you're right. It's not a puzzle for yourself. I still have no idea what happened in the movie or what's going on. Right. Or. But neither, I think, does Guido. Like, I think Guido, one of my favorite things about watching this movie with you, and not because of, okay, you kept getting so much anxiety during the crowd scenes. You were like, ah, like, this is too much. I just want to leave. I just want to leave. And I was like, wow, this movie really works (laughs) because. Guido in all the crowd like where people are like constantly coming up to him and like dragging him away the camera if you if you go back and watch it the camera doesn't let Guido escape the camera like he keeps trying to like all the other characters can flow in and out of the camera like come in and come out and every time Guido tries to the camera traps him again like even if he walks away it cuts the angle so he's like trapped within the camera again and I'm like oh this is perfect like that's exactly what it feels like to not be able to get away from a huge crowd. Now you know how I feel every time I have a panic attack. <laughs> Very good. The movie is simulating that so well that you begin to, like, that's what Guido feels like. Like, he's incapable of escaping this world. But also, he created this world because this is his movie. <laughs> it's so weird. And it's not until the last scene that the camera actually pulls out and you see Guido from a distance just enjoying the space like all of a sudden it's like he's not trapped anymore he's able to join hands with everyone and circle his way out of the camera and then the camera pulls back and you're like look at him he's free he's finally not trapped in his own movie or he's dead or he's dead but i don't think he's dead <laughs> i don't think you're supposed to think he's dead or i thought he was dead he is both alive and dead he's dead by suicide from the gunshot scene but then he's also alive 
Because the movie gives you two endings, not even to choose from, but to be like, you, Fellini ends with this happy dance. And I guess dance is used in Fellini films to mean like freedom and happiness. Like only, the only true happiness comes when, you're, when you see characters dancing. When he's dancing with his wife initially, when like she shows up and they dance, and like, we haven't danced in a year. And you're like, I get it. Like you haven't danced in a year. You haven't been happy for a year. Uh, when he's dancing with, uh, with the woman on the beach, La, what's her name? Uh, uh, I can't think of, she has, they have a great name for her, uh, and it's, and it's Italian and I can't remember it. La, 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 I'm looking it up. This is the worst song. Uh, La Saragina, the Saragina. Uh, when he's dancing with her on the beach, uh, these, these moments of just happiness and Fellini ends with all the characters dancing and happy. But he also ended with the main character crawling under a table and shooting himself in the head. Presumably, you don't actually see him shoot himself in the you head. You hear him. You hear the gunshot and you see him laying there and you're like, Wahapa. You also see, isn't there blood? Is Oh yeah, pooling, like Vaya yeah. said, maybe, but it's very like shadowy. Also, someone hands him the gun. Right. Like one of the, I think it's like his like agent or somebody is like, I put it in your right pocket. And you're like, what is happening? And then he crawls under the table, just like he crawled under the table as a child when he was having fun. Uh, in his in one of his flashbacks or constructed memories for the movie, we don't know. But Fellini is like, I'm ending with a happy ending. Like it's not uh, it's not nothing solved. He's still estranged from his parents. His wife is still like, all right, like, huh? His mistress is still like feeling rejected. But he also gave you the suicide ending, just to say like, there's happiness. But also, don't forget that. He's still completely stressed out, and, like, his life isn't perfect. Like, we didn't solve his life. There's these two possibilities. Like, him, like, giving up and him... Giving up. Giving up in a different way. Like, (laughs) accepting that he's not the center of his own universe. That, like, he's... he The people in his life deserve him to be part of their lives. Like, him realizing, oh... and he But he only realizes that because the magician clown shows up at the end. And it's like, buddy, buddy, hey, buddy, we're ready to start filming this movie. And he's like, I just realized that, like, everyone deserves love. And what am I, what? Let's all dance. Here comes the clowns. I love it. It makes me cry. (laughs) (laughs) So for those of you confused at home who haven't seen Eight and a Half, first go watch Eight and a Half. It's yeah, like, you can get it for really cheap on Amazon. Yeah, it's it's and, and you, it's a much better quality than the one we had before right. that just stopped. <laughs> the Criterion Edition, uh, it's the way to watch it. But for those of you, for those viewers at home who are like, "What are you even talking about?" In brief, I guess, what is Eight and a Half about? That was me also doing like quotes because what is it about? Like plot. Man who sucks, and everyone knows it, but they still gotta. Do what he says because he's kind of their boss. A little more specifically. (laughs) (laughs) A director who sucks. (laughs) Why does he suck though? Because he cheats on his wife and yells at people and is all about himself. But he also, what what is happening with his movie? It sucks. Because. He's bad. Because he doesn't. (laughs) <laughs> have any idea what his movie's supposed to yeah. be about he's he's in this at this spa in italy this health spa mm-hmm. with old people surrounded mm-hmm. by old people presumably because he's not doing well like yeah health-wise. he looks exhausted in every scene that you see right he has and his circles under his eyes the actor who plays guido is uh was selected specifically because he was a dashing handsome leading man 
And then Fellini's like, I'm going to make you up. People are going to expect you. And then the first time we see your face, you're going to look like a ghoul. And he does. Like the first close up of his face, he has like, yeah. But it's obviously makeup Mm -hmm. is also what I love. Like it's just, that's film make. Like it's pancake makeup to make him look old. Again, that artifice, you know you're watching a movie. But yeah, he doesn't, he's, he's in town for this spa, but then he's also brought his entire production crew. And for some reason, they're also in the spa. Yes. Hotel. Spa? But it's a spa hotel. Like you stay there, you live Spotel. there. And you, it's, it's, I think in America, we know like in, worldwide, it's like Club Med is like the kind of the big thing. They're these country club, like you, Club Med was this very famous health spa where you'd go, you'd pay an exorbitant amount of money, you'd live there, but also you'd take, you'd have all these treatments and you'd bathe in the waters and you'd get healthy. It was supposed to be like, just sort of like rest and relaxation, get better, but also for rich people, like a little out of the, out of the reach of people who might actually really need. But, uh, so he's at this health spa, but also he's shooting a movie on the beach near the health spa and he's building a, they've started shooting before they have any material for the movie. They started building a spaceship. Yeah. (laughs) It's like hundreds of feet tall, uh, on the beach. It's supposed to be like a, you find out it's supposed to kind of be a science fiction movie about the nuclear Holocaust, but that's really all you ever learn about it. But also the, he has ideas for the movie that are nothing about that. Right. And he's being pestered by, there's like an actress who's his leading actress who's like, you, you, you asked me to come here. You haven't given me a script yet. I don't know what my part is. And he keeps just blowing her off. And people are like, when are we going to start filming? And he keeps blowing them off. And his producer is like, we spent all this money. What are we going to, what is this? You haven't even cast the movie. We keep spending all this money. And he keeps blowing him off. Also, he's brought his mistress mm-hmm. to stay there, but he immediately doesn't want her there. She shows up on the train, and he's like, huh. But describe the mistress. Very pretty. And? I like her. She's earthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, it's a very hot like climate. It's like the beach, and it's Italy, and it's kind of sweltering, and she comes dressed in furs. Her, like, fanciest furs. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and so you kind of get the idea that she didn't, she also brought like tons of like fancy dresses. Mm-hmm. And you kind of get the idea that she doesn't really know what she's in for here. And she's not too happy, Happy, but she likes to eat and she's very down to earth. Well, and mm-hmm. she is, like she's very earthy. No, and, I was talking about, I was pointing to myself and I was like, am I down to earth? <laughs> and he like immediately regrets her being there. Yeah. Even though he brought her there. Mm-hmm. Like he's just like, ugh, like I don't want to. And he puts her in a crappy hotel. Yeah, he puts her, he doesn't, she thinks she's going to stay with him, and he's like, no, I put you up in this, in this hotel, and it's just like this, it's not a dump. No. But, like, the people who run it are very nice, Mm -hmm. but, like, it's not what she was expecting. Uh, And so you start getting introduced to this guy who's, he has, he, he's not connected to anybody, and that comes up later in the movie, like, he's incapable of, like, making connections with people. And also, it's kind of his fault. (laughs) Right, right, he's, he's. He's not even aloof. He's just, he's so just internally focused. But also he can't make any decisions. That's another thing. Mm-hmm. He's incapable of making decisions, of telling people like what to do, of, of, of even like make for his own movie or anything. And he's also having these visions of this woman, mm-hmm. Claudia, who is silent and floats through scenes, is dressed all in white and is like the perfect human being and you don't figure out until much later that she is an actual actress that he knows or has met and wants in his movie but that's 
kind of secondary and doesn't come into play until later. She's just kind of presented as like this ideal woman mm-hmm. or person, like in general, like just like she'll take care of him and she'll drop to his bed and she'll massage him and she'll mother him. Because most of like the 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 sensuality in this movie is very like parent and child. Like he mostly just wants someone to tuck him in at night. <sighs> yes. It's just that thing where so many guys expect their girlfriends to like mother them and yes. like take care of them. And that just upsets me to no end. And I don't think you're supposed to think it's a good thing. Uh, that's, it's not presented as a positive. Like it's definitely a flaw of his. Uh, it, the movie indulges in it a lot. Is like, let's just, he just has these flights of fancy where he just. He keeps he flashes back to when he was a child and was like taken care of by these two like uh, like women. Nuns? They weren't nuns. They're definitely not nuns. Uh, he was they like, were in at, the like church area though. But they were staying. It was he was at his grandmother's. Oh, I thought it was his mother's. No, that was his grandmother. It, it, again, very vague. There's like the old old woman. She's like, if I had left your grandfather and oh, that's right. I could like. There's all these children staying at this farm and. It's like the probably his happiest memory, like bathing in the I don't understand wine. bathing in the wine. I don't. It's a thing again. I guess. Alcohol kills germs. Uh, bathing in the wine and being wrapped up in blankets and running around and the, all the women just being like, oh, little Guido, little Guido, and then like the, the the little girl who's there, who's like, tonight's the night where the painting will come to life. Its eyes will come to life, but you have to say the magic words, uh, Ana Nisi. Asa Nisi Masa, something like that. Yeah. I didn't write it down. It's very famous. If you if you Google those words, like there's like bands called that and songs called that. It's what does it mean? It doesn't mean anything. It's it's basically just it's gibberish. Uh Italian gibberish. Italian gibberish, but it's it's magic words. And and that's some like moving, like the picture will move, and that's like moving pictures, like the 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 introduction of like the concept, like film is magic. Uh, like, and it starts when you're young. Like, it just, it's this, it's, it's, but also that scene is immediately followed by his, this guy who's staying at the spa also, who he's brought in as his like creative partner, who's a film critic, who the scene show the scene happens, or maybe it's another scene, but the, these scenes will happen. And then the film critic will be talking to Guido about that scene. And he'll be like, that's just sentimental garbage. Like, what are you going to do? Just load this movie up with, like, flashbacks to your childhood? That's trash. People don't want that. <laughs> we, they want to know how you feel about the church and, like, how you feel about Catholicism and how you feel about, like, the government. And he's like, I'm not going to even respond to anything you're saying. <laughs> but then, like, there's—he's like, I want to have a scene where, like, the main character is talking with a, with a bishop of the church in a mud bath. So I need to go visit the actual bishop so that I can, like— figure out if this scene is okay to do so then we have a scene in the movie where he's meeting with these like heads of the church and they're like well he'll be able to talk to you later on at the mud bath and so you actually have the scene where the main character meets with the guy in the mud bath but then it's just completely uh it comes to nothing because like all the guy does is talk about nothing like just like just like here's just some bible stuff no one's supposed to be happy like according to the bible you're not supposed to be happy just follow the word of god no one cares if you're happy and and you're like, wait, is this the scene from the movie, or is this a scene from Guido's movie, or is this? Because the whole scene is like really weird, and like it's underground in these underground spas with like these like weird like announcements going on. 
I'm not gonna lie. If someone told me that no one cares if I was happy and that I should just follow the word of God, I'd be like, well, time to go worship Satan then. See you later. Yes, but like that's the whole like Italian Catholicism thing. Like it sucks. Yeah, if you're raised that way. <laughs> I don't care. But also, it sucks. Like, but also, like Fellini's not saying like this is the way it should be because all the flashbacks to him being in a Catholic school are don't exactly paint the Catholic institutions in a good light. Like it's the it's the prostitute on the beach who's like the the cool like earthy smiling happy person who who treats Guido like an actual human being, even though she just does a, a wacky dance and picks him up and smiles at him and says, "Ciao." Adam, she's still a better person than those weird priests. Who are like, she is Satan in disguise. Yes, exactly. <laughs> At the confessional. They don't even say like, the priest doesn't even say like, and now you have to do like some Hail Marys and some Our Fathers. He's just like, she's the devil. She is the devil. He's like, I didn't know. It's like, well, go go to hell. <laughs> and like Guido's like, <laughs> I'm going to go visit the woman on the beach again. And then she sings beautifully. She does. And there's that music place. Those doing the dance. What? Those doing the dance. Yes, but like that's the. Yeah, but we're we're past the dance. That's the Saragina dance. But she starts singing a different song. She does. Nino Rota, who did the music, did almost all of Fellini's film scores. Nino Rota is one of the most famous film composers of all time. Incorporates like different, like pre-existing music into his film scores, but also. Like the music in Eight and a Half, there's all these themes that he reworks into other themes and then like will write these themes so that if you put them together, they actually work as a completely new piece of music. It's amazing. And if you listen to the music, you'll hear characters humming themes from other scenes, like in their scenes to sort of call back to that. Very complex. Astonishingly fun music to listen to, but also like incredibly secretly complex music nino rota if you listen to his like he has there's a cd that's just like nino rota's music for lini films and it's just like i just feel like hanging out with some circus clowns and fantasizing about my childhood like that's the kind of like mood so not music i should listen to <laughs> <laughs> also uh, if you're listening to this movie and you're su- watching this movie and you're suddenly like i want to watch Wee's big adventure or big top Wee, that's because danny elfman just pretty much ripped off wholesale uh, Nino wrote a music for his Pee Wee Pee Wee Herman movies. It's I've just, never seen any of them, so I didn't feel that. There much. is a there is a track uh, when uh, the mistress shows up. So Guido invites his wife <laughs> and all of her friends <laughs> to come hang out at the spa because he misses his wife. Sweet. Sort of. <laughs> he immediately regrets having her there. <laughs> <laughs> sort of the story of his life. <laughs> he immediately regrets having anyone around him. Uh, but you can tell that like he has this deep affection for his wife, mm-hmm. but he keeps her at arm's length. Mm-hmm. She's also aware that he's been screwing around on her mm-hmm. with this specific woman. She sees this. She sees the mistress as soon as she gets there. Like she has a really nice scene with him. Mm-hmm. She's like, "Thank you for inviting me," and they dance. And then she immediately turns like dour and cold. And you're like, "What happened?" And you find out later it's because this, she saw the mistress like on the street. Uh, but there is a scene with. He's hanging out with his wife and his wife's sister. Sister? Later on, I read she was her best friend. Which one? The the, the, the same woman. We're referring to the same woman. I couldn't tell it. So, okay, now she, like, so she has a sister there as well. Maybe that's where I got confused. She has a little sister who's there yeah. who hates Guido to death. Yes, who's on the phone with him. And the sister also has a friend there. An who older hates, friend. Who has... No. 
The wife has an older friend. Yes. The little sister also has a friend. Yes. Who's just kind of there and also hates Guido. Yeah. The older friend likes Guido because, but she's also incredibly critical of him. Mm -hmm. And she actually says like at one point, I'm your, I'm your talking cricket. Mm-hmm. Also, there's a lot of Pinocchio imagery in this movie. Mm-hmm. He puts on a big fake nose at one point. He's always tapping his nose whenever he's telling a lie. Uh, people call him Pinocchio. She's his talking cricket. There's a lot of Pinocchio imagery. For those of you who don't know, Pinocchio is the most important book in Italian history. Like, Carlo Collodi's Pinocchio is like the quintessential Italian. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but it's like <laughs> an incredibly important book. It's like their Lord of the Rings. <laughs> It's like, it's just so much a part of like Italian, like everyone read Pinocchio. It's anyone from Italy. Is that true? Right. (laughs) Please tell. It is very important. Uh, And the talking cricket, of course, is not Jiminy Cricket. The talking cricket is like this irritating presence on the wall who Pinocchio hates. And is constantly like, you're going to, you're screwing up. You're screwing up again. Hates so much that uh, he throws a hammer at the cricket and kills it. And then the cricket later shows up as a ghost. Ghost cricket. (laughs) Ghost cricket. So, but yeah, so he's there they're having like this very tense like lunch on this all alone in this outdoor cafe and then the mistress shows up being dropped off by a horse and carriage and the music that's playing is peewee's big adventure music it's almost literally music from peewee's big adventure except of course peewee's big adventure is it's like if you recognize peewee's big adventure music it goes like and you're like oh wait this is almost exactly the music danny elfman wrote for peewee's big adventure not an accident obviously if you're familiar with nina rota's music you you wouldn't think he was trying to get away with it but uh it's also this hilarious moment where she gets off the carriage the carriage pulls away she sees guido and his wife and her friend all alone in this cafe so she turns around to get back on the carriage but the carriage isn't there but she still does this like big step like she's gonna step onto the carriage and then kind of slowly turns back around and just walks to a table because she does it's one of the most human moments in the movie where you're like, oh, my God, I've been there. Like, you see someone you don't want to deal with. You don't have anywhere to go. So you just kind of pretend they're not there and just, like, do, 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 like sit down <laughs> at a table. And, of course, they're, like, staring at her the whole time. The question is, is did she go there expecting to meet Guido on his Who own? knows? <laughs> it's obvious he did not want her to ever leave the hotel. <laughs> And she actually gets sick at one point, like incredibly sick, like 104 degrees sick. And he, she calls him to the her bedside, and he's like, "I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here. Please let me leave." Isn't she like, "I want to call my husband and go home"? No, he tells her to call her husband. He's like, "You should just call your husband and have him pick you up." And she's like, "No, call your husband." And she's like, "No, he'll make me go home, and I want to be here." And Guido's like, "Ugh, please." Yeah, he could have pushed it a bit harder. Yeah, he also started acting really weird, like with the. Caring for her and stuff. That was weird. Well, he's like mopping all the sweat off of her. She's incredibly yeah. sweaty. And he doesn't want her to be sweaty. He wants her to be perfect and not need him to take care of her. He wants her to take care of him because he's a baby man. <laughs> Literally yeah. a baby man at one point. <laughs> so in the scene in the cafe, uh, all of a sudden, his mistress starts singing. Mm-hmm. And then the wife goes up to her and it's like, I love your singing voice. And then they start dancing together. And you were like, gay. And you were also like, what? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And then it becomes 
the dream sequence. The creepiest scene ever. The harem sequence. Where the worst scene. You're like, wait a minute, what? And it's back at the farm where he was a boy. And it's every woman from the movie, plus some extra women we've never met before. And I think this is the this is the scene that people think about a lot when they think of Eight and a Half. Because I hear a lot that Eight and a Half is a movie about a man and all the women in his life. Whereas it's really about a man and all the people in his life. Like, Because mm-hmm. there's just as many men in this movie as there are women. Yeah. There's a musical based on Eight and a Half called Nine. An incredible... It's, because... Okay. <laughs> eight and a Half is called Eight and a Half for many reasons. One of the reasons that Fellini always gave is that before he made this movie, he had made seven and a half movies. Seven feature films by himself and then a feature film where he co-directed it. So he had made seven feature films and a co-direct, so seven and a half movies. And then this movie is the eighth movie. So he had made eight and a half movies. Also, there's like, people give all their kinds of reasons for eight and a half, but that's essentially more or less why it's called eight and a half. Nine, the musical, uh, is called Nine because uh, I believe Maury Estin was the originator of the idea to do it, was like, I'm adding a half to it. I'm adding like, this is another like little like, I'm adding a half onto it with the music. I'm adding music to it. So I'm illustrating the story. So it's Nine. Uh, but what nine did, and I think people confuse eight and a half with nine. Nine is about Guido. He's the only man in the story. Every other character in nine is played by is a woman. And it's all the women in his life. And so it sort of simplifies, breaks, the whole musical is kind of that harem scene in macrocosm. Just mm-hmm. like we're just expanding on that and just, just making it about these women. And his mother's there, his wife. But his wife is also his actress in the, mm-hmm. in the musical. And I think people confuse that too. And his mistress and his like all these other people flitting in and out. I think his producer is a woman in the musical. Like it's, uh, it's also it's a brilliant musical. Don't get me wrong, but it's not to be confused with Eight and a Half. So there's this harem scene, and it's basically Guido just being like, "Here's my perfect life. If every woman just got along and treated me like a baby man, like you would expect. It's a harem scene, so you would expect it to get sexual, but it doesn't." <laughs> Except in the sense that people confuse sexuality, like it's that whole like, take care of me, love me. <laughs> in modern time, not like the movie Modern Times. In now, yes. it is very sexual. I mean, because of all the weird stuff. Well, yes. That is on the internet. <laughs> well, okay. At the time, too, people understood that this is a this was a genuinely sensual sexual scene, like. We knew about mother issues. We knew about, <laughs> um, and also like, oh God, there's so many recurring themes. Like the theme of like people wrapped in blankets or sheets. Like his mistress is wrapped in a sheet in one scene, and then she opens up her sheet. You don't. There's no nudity in this movie. There's no, no sex in this movie. There's the implication of sex, um, but also like bodies are wrapped in sheets. Also, uh, Sarah Gina has a sheet on the back of her chair at one point. And this movie is, this scene is all about like white flowing sheets and stuff. But all the women are in love with each other, in love with him, and they want to take care of him. And, but even though it's clearly a fantasy of Guido's, or is it a scene in a movie? uh, There's also conflict because Mm -hmm. this old dancer, this older dancer, older dancer uh, shows up named Bonbon, somebody, Francesca Bonbon or something, who was supposedly the first stripper he ever saw or you know uh burlesque dancer he Mm -hmm. ever saw that sort of you assume formed some facet of his personality who and she has been relegated to the uh, upstairs Mm -hmm. where women over 
the age of something like 35 or cents. Like once you hit a certain age, the, you're, you have to go upstairs with all Which the older women. strange because clearly some of the other women who are still downstairs are over 35. Right. It's this, it's, there's no, there's no hard lines in this movie. And so that you, maybe she was lied to and he just wants to get rid of her. He wants to confine that memory to like the dust bit. He doesn't need that memory anymore. Who <laughs> knows? Like it's not to be, again, it's not supposed to be figured out. Just supposed mm-hmm. to be like, okay, this is good. Why is this a fantasy of his? Why is he being yelled at in his own fantasies? Like, that's weird. Like, you would think that once he put her away, he put her away. But she's begging not to be put away. She wants to do a final dance. But, of course, she can't dance anymore. Uh, The women start, like, revolting. So he pulls out a whip and is, like, whipping them with his bullwhip. But they're all like, hooray! And then he wants to get... He gets wrapped up like he did after he took his wine bath. Uh, (laughs) And... There's all this chaos, but it ends up resolving with his wife being like, no, 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 no. We all need to be perfect women and do the housework and stuff. And he's like, yes. Well, it ends up resolving with her still being his wife. And she still has to do all the work, but none of the other women do. Right. And the mistress is playing the harp. And all the women are eating eating together and taking care of him. Except for his wife. Who right. Who is doing all of this hard work. And is dressed all in black. Mm-hmm. It's 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 an odd fantasy, but again, what where does it exist within reality? We don't know. We're just sort of taking it as it comes. But then we get the big, not final scene, but the big like crux of the movie, which is the screen test scene, mm-hmm. where his producer is forcing him to watch all these screen tests they did a year ago of various actresses playing parts in his movie. And of course, they're all characters who we're now familiar with. Yeah. The, his wife, his mistress. And La Saragina. Yeah. Uh and for some reason he was like i'll take my wife to this. <laughs> it's just like what are you thinking because it's brilliant i love watching these other actresses play these characters you know mm-hmm. like there's so many men, women they go through for the mistress like there's like eight women and they're all like various aspects of the mistress like some are like very large and complainy and some are very like light voice but they're all like facets of this actually complex character Mm -hmm. like she's a real person the mistress but the women playing her are only playing a piece of her at a time Mm -hmm. but then the woman playing the wife like he's really directing her in that scene and we also get the juxtaposition of a man who can't make any decisions in his actual life but we hear him on these screen tests just giving forceful direction like do this do this do this was that him on the screen yes okay it's hard to tell but it is definitely guido it's it's guido because you're seeing him make all these decisions on screen, but not being able to make decisions in real life. Also, he hangs the critic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he, wishes, he wishes the critic would be executed. We watch the critic get executed right there on the spot, and then the critic's fine. Which sets up the suicide later. Mm-hmm. Showing you that fantasy and reality in this movie, it doesn't matter. Like, there's no, like, break in the continuity. You watch the critic get hung in the theater as if it's just part of the scene, and then he's immediately not hung, and you're like, wait, what really happened? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. That's not the point. The point is that he wanted him to get hung, so he got hung, and you're watching a movie called Eight and a Half about a man making a movie called Eight and a Half. Uh, But his wife is watching the screen test (laughs) of herself, (laughs) and the moment that made me audibly gasp when I was watching it like a while, a little while ago, like last week, was when the woman is doing the lines as the wife, and then he's like, put the glasses on. 
and she puts on the wife's glasses because the wife has these glasses. Mm-hmm. Louisa uh, wears these glasses, and they're very like obvious. Like no one else wears glasses like this. Also, mm-hmm. uh, a little thing I told you while we were watching it is that his wife Louisa is played by Rosella, uh, not Rosella Falk, uh, Anouk. Amy, I don't know how you pronounce it. Anouk, A-N-O-U-K, uh, plays Louisa, and she was one of the most beautiful women in film uh, at the time. Uh, she's still quite beautiful. She's still alive. She's 86 years old. Um, but he cast her as his wife and was just like, we're going to have to plane you up because you look beautiful. You're a beautiful woman. So we're going to make you plain. Also, I want you to wear your actual glasses, which I know you cannot see without, but you never wear them in movies. And she's like, I don't want to wear my glasses. I look hideous in them. And he's like, yes, I want you to wear your glasses because his wife is not a movie star. She's not a celebrity. She's just a wife and you need to look plain Jane. So of course she shows up in the movie and you're like, this is the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> like she's, she's, uh, you cannot hide the fact that this woman is, incredibly beautiful yeah but she wears these glasses i love them they're like these like i could never wear them my face would not support them i have too round a face but they're flat like they're very thin narrow these narrow lenses and then when the actress puts them on in the screen test it's like oh dude what are you doing why are you making your wife watch a screen test about her confronting you about what an ass you are (laughs) This is so awkward and everyone knows it's her and everyone knows it's supposed to be her. And then she gets up and leaves. And then he goes out after her and she's like, divorce. Yeah, she's like, I'm, this, I'm done. I'm done with this. You can't tell the truth. You think you're making movies to tell the truth. You can't tell the truth to save your life. You can't love anyone. And then she leaves. And then his fantasy woman shows up. Mm-hmm. The woman he's been fantasizing about this Doesn't whole his- movie. Mistress also show up at some point during this? Or was that just me making things up? You're then? thinking of the actual screen test, I think. She's oh, yeah. not in that scene. Uh... She she's uh, also the fantasy woman uh, is Claudia is not in his fantasy sequence, not in the harem sequence. Mm-hmm. But that weird woman from the hotel is. Yeah. He keeps seeing this woman at the hotel, never talks to her. He overhears her like having a sad conversation at one point on the phone. But he keeps thinking about her like she keeps popping up and he's like, huh. But you don't know what the deal is. He's just, she's just this woman. Mm-hmm. Like a, She's not even young. She's like probably in her like mid to late 30s. Like she's I say I young. She's not like in her 20s. She's not. I thought she was older than that. I mean, she may be in her 40s. I could, she's just sort of this woman, like just yeah. sort of there. But the, the the fantasy woman, Claudia, shows up. And she's an actress who he's been asking for. And she's shown up to be in his movie. He's like, finally, the perfect woman is here. Let's get in the car. Let's go for a drive. I want to take you to this place. And you were like, he's going to murder her. <laughs> I kept saying everyone was going to die, though. So, like, <laughs> it does. It is. It's so almost sinister that it does seem like he's taking her out someplace to, to kill her. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised at that point. And uh, he goes out and he's trying to explain the movie to her. And he's like, Would you drop everything in your life to do this, to, to create something? And she's like, Would you? He's like, No. And she's basically like, Yeah, because you're, you're just this like sad old man. And you can't love anybody. Or she keeps saying the main the main character is incapable of, of love. He's incapable of love. You're incapable. Like He's incapable of love. Why would anyone feel bad for him? Yeah. Why would anybody care about this movie? The main character is incapable of love. He's incapable of love. And she just keeps saying that. He's capable of love. And he's like, there is no movie. She's like, She says, like, there, do you even have a part for me? He's like, there's no part. There's no film. This film isn't getting made. And it's the most honest you see him mm-hmm. is where he's just like, I'm, I'm not making a movie. 
I'm not making a movie. There's no part for you. There's no part for anyone. Like, and what was supposed to, what you expect is that his dream woman shows up and it's his dream woman. Cause this whole movie is kind of a fantasy, but instead it makes him just be like, I'm kind of just broken, dude. I'm broken and I can't love anyone. And you're right. There's no movie. But then all the cars pull up and they're like, oh, uh, Guido, your producer is forcing everyone to make this movie. <laughs> uh, there's going to be a press conference tomorrow. And then they literally drag him to the press conference. And that is where what happens? He shoots himself. More anxiety. It's like the most anxiety producing. People are just screaming at him about what a phony he is and how he can't make a movie. And Isn't he like a super successful film whatever though? Yeah, but so is Fellini. And Fellini got all these arguments That's too. True. Like Fellini... Every argument you hear at Guido is something people actually said to Fellini, which is you're obsessed with sex, you're obsessed with pornography, you're obsessed with childhood, uh, your movies are garbage. Like, no one, like, and this is like his contemporaries telling him this and critics telling him this. And they're just like, you, you, you romanticize the Catholic Church too much. You criticize the Catholic Church too much. Uh, we don't know where you stand politically. Why don't you put more politics in your movies? Uh, why, do you, why do you think... Shut up. <laughs> yeah. And that's kind of like, he's just like, Ugh. then someone slips him a gun. He crawls under the table, just like he did when he was a child. But when he was having fun, like in his fondest memory, he crawls under the table. He's trying to escape everyone. And he shoots himself in the head. Oh, by the way. And they're, they're also, this is, they're on the beach mm-hmm. where, the, where the spaceship is being built. This giant scaffold. This is giant scaffold. And he shoots himself. And then it immediately cuts to him. On the beach again, same place, and they're tearing down the scaffolding. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I'm so glad I decided not to make this movie. But it's really his critic who's like, it's a good thing you're not making this movie. And he basically says, because we only have what we leave behind us, and why would you want to leave behind this garbage? <laughs> like, why would you want to leave behind crap? And Guido's like, yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right, it's crap. And then the clown man shows up. He's not a clown. The magician. The magician shows up. <laughs> oh, by the way... There's a whole scene with this magician and this woman who can read people's minds, like legitimately read people's minds <laughs> because Fellini's all about magic and he loves magic. And a lot of his movies are infused with this sort of like, oh, and also his wife's best friend, the Jiminy Cricket character. Mm-hmm. She also talks to spirits. Mm-hmm. He's like, what do your spirits say about me? And she's like, you suck. You suck. They don't like you. They don't want to talk about you. <laughs> but she's also incredibly grounded and down to earth and one of my favorite characters. She looks like a pilot. A what? A pilot. A pilot? She has like that jacket. Oh. <laughs> For some reason you said pilot and I thought Pontius Pilate from the from like the Jesus Christ story. What? Like the, the guy who like condemns Jesus to death. I was thinking she looks like pilot. What? Oh wait, no. She was like, like a, a plane an airline pilot. pilot. Yes. Uh, but I love her. She's so down to earth and just like She's my favorite character. Yeah, she doesn't take any of Guido's crap. She's just like, I know who you are. You're a jerk and a and a weirdo. But also I kinda love you. Like she likes you can tell she likes Guido. She wants to hang around him and like Give him shit. I mean, give him poop. <laughs> we don't swear on this show. Sure. <laughs> she wants to give him poop. That's you a, could say crap. She wants to give him crap. Um, <laughs> so in any That's case, what this episode is called. There was a scene where there was a woman who was a psychic reading people's minds. And the guy who was speaking for her was this guy who apparently used to be a friend of Guido's. Like, mm-hmm. he's like, oh my gosh, what are you doing here? And he's like, I'm a famous filmmaker now. How did you end up here? And he's like, ah, whatever. Want me to read your mind? And that's where the Ana Nisimasa thing came yeah. in. Yeah. Uh, he's like, oh, you're uh, all she can read from your mind is this weird gibberish. And there was a flashback to childhood. But this magician guy, or not magician, he's like a, 
I don't know what he is, a, ma- a magician facilitator. <laughs> <laughs> but he's he's like this sort of like clowny guy. Like he has a goofy face and he's like. He doesn't have a goofy face. He has a scary face. He, he's kind of like the uh, the MC from Cabaret. Like he's got, he's very pale and he's like, hello. But he's also very nice. Like he's a, he's a nice guy. But he suddenly just shows up out of nowhere and is like, Guido, Guido, here's your megaphone. They're ready to begin filming your movie. And he's like, oh my God. Guido suddenly just like, everyone, like, I've. I've got to, I've, I have to love everyone. Like, I can't stop, I have to stop being like this. I have to just accept that people deserve to be loved and we're all part of the same world. And you're like, whoa, 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 where's this revelation coming from? It comes out of nowhere, which is kind of the point. Uh, and then clowns come out, like four clowns, and also himself as a little boy. And everyone from his life is dressed in white. Uh, uh, also... <laughs> The woman from Black Sunday is in this movie who we don't even talk about. Oh, that's right. Also, his best friend is there, but he has this like 30-year-old new like fiance. His friend is very old, and she's played by the woman who played the witch. Yeah. In in We Love Her So Much. She's one of the most beautiful women yeah. in, in the world, or film actresses at this what point. What is it with actresses in this movie being the most beautiful women in the world? Well, it's Fellini. Like he's gonna surround himself with like these beautiful women. But also she's scary looking and she's kind of weird. She's, like I, this is what I said. I said she's that thirteen-year-old Twilight fan who wants to be a vampire in middle school. She totally is. Mm-hmm. She's like, oh, just histrionics the whole time. And this old man, who's his best, who's his best friend, but doesn't have any time for him because he's there with his young, like, mistress now, fiance, is like, I know that she's too young for me, and she only wants my money. But she could take a rich young guy, but instead she's with a rich old guy. And so, whatever, dude. I'm with this crazy woman who just. I guess I kind of love her. And he's like, whatever. Well, she obviously cares for him, too, in some capacity. Yeah, she does. She wants to be with him. Mm-hmm. I guess it's weird. It's a, it's, a, it's a weird dynamic, but it at least is a dynamic. Like, mm-hmm. uh, Guido has a mistress as well, but he can't do anything with her. He can't make any decisions. He can't choose anything. Whereas his friend, he's leaving his wife, and she's unhappy, and his friend is kind of unhappy, but he's making choices. He's moving forward in his life. He's taking action. And at the end of this movie, Guido takes action. It's a weird action. He starts filming a movie on this spaceship with everyone he knows. And he hasn't solved any of his problems. But he joins them. And he's like, it's sort of this sort of like, oh, my God, we're just, I'm not trapped by any of this. I just need to make a decision. And my decision is I'm just going to go forward and maybe reconcile with my wife and send my mistress away, kind of like tell her to go join the rest of the world, and I'm going to join the rest of the world because we're all just. I'm 43 years old, and I kind of just wish. I was just, happy making decisions. I wish that's how anxiety worked in real life. It's not anxiety though. He doesn't have clinical anxiety. No, I thing. know. I just wish that's how anxiety worked. In real He's life. stuck, and I think the reason I cry at the end of this movie is because. I'm almost 43 years old, and I know what it's like to feel trapped by indecision and to be like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I don't, have I made the right choices? Am I making the right choices? And to have a movie that just says it's okay to be unhappy and to have made weird choices and to. Like starting a Berenstain Bears podcast. Berenstain podcast. <laughs> But to just say, like, what the most important thing is to just love and be loved and let yourself connect to people and don't push everyone away. That's a hard, it's hard for me to accept is that I don't have to separate myself from people. I tend to do that. I tend to put walls up. I know. And I live with you. (laughs) To have Guido do it and to see it illustrated this way and to have it 
be a joyous thing, a thing that, re- that calls for dance and music. And it's painful. His parents turn away from him at the end. He, he goes up to his mother and she kind of like does this sad like shrug and walks off with her father to join the circle. Her father or his or father. his father, <laughs> her husband, to join the circle. And he's just like, oh, I didn't. And then to, to short, he sort of, he, he goes to reconcile with his wife, but you don't hear their conversation. But he takes her hand and they join the circle. And you're like, oh, I don't know if they're together or if he's just like, I get it. Like, I get why you left me, but we're all part of this world. And like, there's no answer at the end. And the reason I think people have problems with this ending is because it comes out of nowhere. It's the sort of fantasy clown guy who's like, whoa. I didn't like him, okay? I'm just going to put that out there. I, I didn't like him. that guy. He freaks me he out. He is freaky. But one of the reasons I think is because Fellini subscribes to the notion of grace, which is something that we as... Did he click that like button? <laughs> which is what we as audience members have trouble with because we want a story with this leads to this, this leads to this. And the reason the answers show up is because this action was taken. Whereas grace, the concept of grace is simply, there is sometimes just revelation. There is sometimes just, oh, oh, I just, I get it now. And that is hard to express story-wise because that doesn't work story-wise. That's not what a story is. A story doesn't allow for revelation. Uh, or if there is, revelation has to be earned. But instead, what what happens in this movie is Guido is simply graced with a revelation. And you can say, like, that doesn't, that's not, he didn't earn it. That's not how movies work. But this whole movie isn't how movies work. Like, this movie isn't about telling a story. It's about it being a movie. <laughs> I'm sure it would have, I'm, I am fine with the ending. It's not my favorite. That's fine. That's fine. It's just, like out of nowhere mm-hmm. and i mean that's how revelations are i get it but like also i don't need a bunch of singing dancing people to tell me that <laughs> and i and i i understand like that's could he not have been alone and had this revelation and be well, like oh i screwed everything up there was an alternate ending <clears throat> where he went away on a train and he was surrounded by everyone in his life on this train and they're all dressed in white and they went into a dark tunnel and people were like that looks like he's dead <laughs> that looks just like you just said he died. And he, Fellini was like, you know what? I don't want that to be my ending. He had filmed this ending as a commercial, mm-hmm. as a fee, like a little like, like, I'm making a new movie. Here's all the characters dancing around in white. Here's some circus clowns because I'm Fellini and that's what I do. And he was like, you know what? I think this ending works better because this is Fellini. I'm Fellini and this is what I do. I celebrate life. I I bring in the clowns and I have everyone dance and sing and I I part the curtains and here's all my characters walking down the stairs because I'm Fellini and this is to me what revelation is. It is dancing with everyone in your life. And I can't actually make these connections in my real life, but I sure am glad I could have my my character make these connections. And that's we, we see Guido on this threshold of revelation, and I want to believe that Fellini was on his threshold of revelation. Obviously, Fellini went on after this to make many other movies, most of which people disliked. Um, he went on to make Juliet of the Spirits, which is basically the female version of Eight and a Half. It's about a woman dealing with very similar issues like this. And there's a lot of fantasy. Uh, he went on to make Satyricon, which is Eight and a Half taken to the super extreme in the sense that 
it is all like disjointed scenes and what is happening is this whole movie a dream like i don't understand and then uh years later he went on to make Amarcord, which is the first fellini film i ever saw which is very much about fellini's childhood and childhood and it's a little more grounded and uh i saw it when I was kind of like you. I think I was 17 when I saw it. I was unprepared, didn't know what Fellini was, and I was like, what is happening? <laughs> uh, why, are, why is this? Why is this going on? But I was also like, I know I just saw something interesting. I'll get back into Fellini later on in my life because <laughs> I didn't get this at all. <laughs> um, but that's eight and a half kind of in a nutshell. We missed a lot. We didn't go over a lot of things. You should probably just watch this movie. For just go watch this movie. Uh, uh, final judgments. Final. Final. I thoughts? wouldn't watch it again, but I mean, it was fine. Do you think people should watch it? Oh, Do yeah. you think it's a movie to see? Yeah, I think that it's really fascinating and it does some interesting things. And also, if you just if you don't have anxiety and you have someone who does have anxiety in your life, watch it. You'll understand <laughs> how they feel all the time. <laughs> yeah, it is a very anxiety-producing film. Uh, I recommend uh, the book Film Guide to Eight and a Half. Uh, it is by Ted Perry. It is from 1975. You will only be able to find it in old used bookstores or like I found it in my library access. Center. I don't even know what this place is. I had to request it, but it's from a library I've never heard of. I don't know what it is. The Minnesota Library Access Center. I think it's just a place that has a lot of books that sends books to libraries that have requests that aren't necessarily common. Yeah, I guess. But a Distribution center. It's a distribution center, but I would... I would I recommend it. Get the get the Criterion edition, or watch it on Amazon. Watch it on Amazon, but it's the it's the Criterion release on Amazon. Oh, it's, okay. It's uh, it's beautifully beautifully realized. You the the Criterion edition has a commentary track that walks you through the movie very well by uh, like a film scholar, uh, a woman who's an actress who is just reading stuff about Eight and a Half, a lot of it from this book, uh, Film Guide to Eight and a Half, and one of Fellini's best friends who... Actual best friends or fake best friends? He talks about that <laughs> in the thing. Or he's like, I thought I was Fellini's friend, but maybe I wasn't, but I stayed with him his whole life. Like, I, I, I knew him his whole life. But also, is in Eight and a Half. He was there from the beginning. He was on the production of Eight and a Half. So he, you sort of get a lot of, like, ground level, like stories behind the making of this movie how much of it was most of this movie was done on sets even though it looks like it was done at a real spa like mm-hmm. they built a lot like there's so much artifice in this movie i obviously love eight and a half maybe i I'll like it better when i'm older i was gonna say i don't think it's a movie for <laughs> even though the musical nine the guy started writing it when he was in high school <laughs> because he <laughs> loved eight and a half so much and he was like i know i didn't really get it but i loved it so much but I think if you're of a theatrical like bent and you're like, I'm going to start thinking abstractly, it's a kind of great movie to adapt into a musical because musicals are so abstract anyway and you can sort of bounce around in realities and stuff. But in any case, I think that's fair. I think it's a totally fair judgment to say like, it's probably not a movie for teenagers. Like it's not about being a teen. It's about being a person in their 40s and being like... I have no idea what I'm doing. Yeah. Also, he worked on this movie for several years before he started making it. It wasn't until near the beginning of production that he was like, oh, I should make the main character a film director. This movie, he went through different jobs for this guy. It wasn't about making a film originally. It was about a guy who can't create. But he was like, what should I make him? What should I make him? And finally, at the end, he was like, I guess I'll make him a film director. Even though, obviously, people are going to be like, so you're just making a movie about yourself? And he was like, no, uh, not necessarily. Yes, I, yes, I've, I've been making this movie for a while, not only about myself. But obviously, there's a lot of, 
there's a lot of autobiographical stuff in it. At least he like at least Fellini recognizes his inability to make connections with people. Yeah. Yeah. And like acknowledges it. It's a very it's a strangely honest film about a man who can't be honest. Uh, you know, if we're going to if we're going to like just split hairs. But you could teach classes about eight and a half like you can you you could do a whole pod i've said this before but you can do a whole podcast about eight and a half like just take aspects of it as you go you can talk about the movies that were inspired by eight and a half the movie eight and a half women the movie uh uh there's a movie called eight and a half women that's inspired there's another movie called i think eight and a half that was like sort of a a response to it people made reaction movies to this uh it was incredibly successful when it was made all the critics hated it um isn't that like a common thing for everything though oh yeah yeah, but I mean, like, they really hated this movie. They thought it was sentimental crap. Like, 20 per- I think, like, a small percentage of critics liked it, but it went over at gangbusters in America. People were like, there's no way this movie is going to play in the States. So they sort of, like, sat on it for, like, a year, but then they finally released it. Won two Academy Awards. It won, people were just like, oh, Fellini's eight and a half. Like, this is, this is art. This is an art film. <laughs> like. It's funny, because, like, I try not to look at critics for my movie recommendations, because they're all about technicalities and things like that and i'm like is it a good movie if i enjoy it yes if i don't know and people enjoyed it people loved eight and a half and uh yeah it's and it's now in the lexicon as one of the greatest movies ever made i would That's say a good word what lexicon <laughs> the film lexicon is just one of the greatest movies ever made whether or not you agree with me uh or with you know the people who say it is that's completely your decision that's you know it's not for everyone fellini's not for everyone uh, but it's just so weird that it it manages to be such a self-indulgent movie without coming across as self-indulgent. I don't know. Maybe it's because he's so self-critical that you're just like, or because it's supposed to be self-indulgent. Like he's being... Okay, we could talk about this for a long time. He addresses his own critics within the context of the movie. I just think it's brilliant to have a critic in the movie complaining about the movie. And so he's just like, ha you can't complain about that because I already acknowledge that it's this. <laughs> I just, I love it. I love it. What is our next movie? I don't know. The Leopard. Is that a spooky one? It is not a spooky one. We are on the cusp of our spooky movies, though. We are we are approaching spookiness, but we are not at spookiness just yet. Um, but uh, The Leopard is our next movie. Is it about a man beast? It is not about oh. a man beast. <laughs> so join us for The Leopard uh, when we get to it next time. Uh, Beast Man, that's what I was Oh, and obviously say. Del Toro loves his movie because it's a... I, I don't think we even need to... Yeah, no. <laughs> it's a... Yeah. So, <laughs> that's our Guillermo Del Toro. Of course he loves Eight and a Half. It's a movie about a man making movies. About man making movies. So, uh, uh, join us next time. I'm Phil. I'm Ollie. And we'll see you when... It's Del Toro, Del Toro time. time. Goodbye. Goodbye.